Welcome to Ask the Advocate, where mental health advocates share their journey to advocacy and what it has meant for their lives. Ask the Advocate is a Mothers on the Frontline production. Today we will hear from Andre Manai, a father of two, husband, and social worker. This interview was recorded at the 2017 National Federation of Families for Children's Mental Health Conference in Orlando, Florida. During this particular recording, you can hear music and noise in the background from another event in the hotel. Please don't let these noises distract you from Andre's story. So I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and, and then the kind of advocacy work that you do. Okay, well, my name is Andre Mina. I've been a social worker since about 2002. I tell people this is what I do because it's the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that, but you okay. <laughs> um, so I've been working with children, especially since 2002, ranged from Miami, D.C., now here in Florida. Um, so I've, I've been doing this work kind of a long time. Right. It's, it's funny when I look at my resume, I'm like, man, I'm old. <laughs> that <laughs> happens know? quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My oldest son is about to turn four. My youngest son just turned two. So I've been married for seven years. So that that's kind of the highlight of my career, really. Right. <laughs> yeah. Those are fun ages, too. Yes. That's where the real work begins, you know. Yes. <laughs> that's you understand everything you've already done. That's right. You know, so, yeah. And tell us about your advocacy work. So... Um, I've been advocating for children for a long time, right. um, and so you almost don't even look at it as advocacy. It's just something that you've been doing for a long time. Right, right. But um, I've been, you know, working in foster care. I began my career working in foster care, and so to advocate for a lot of those kids who really didn't have parents who were able to to advocate for them, right. I became their parent. Right. You know, and I've been kind of training foster parents on how to raise kids, even though I was about 22 years old, and telling 50-year-old women <laughs> and men how to raise their kids. But, you know, it's kind of raising their kids, raising my kids that they have custody of the right. way we kind of want to them to be raised. Right. You know, and it's kind of hard, too, because, you, you you know, you have a certain standard of how you raise your own kids, mm-hmm. you know, and you have your ideologies and all that stuff. Right. But, you know, when you say to, to a parent who's been spanking their kids you know, for a long time, like, yeah. you look, don't touch my kids, you know, right, right. <laughs> and you have to do it in the most professional way as possible, but, you know, you check on them and, and you, 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 you know, you do things like that, but it's, um, so I've been advocating for foster children, I'm, I'm you know, I've, at one point I had my own mentoring agency, you know, where I kind of took kids in Baltimore City who were underprivileged, right. um, and kind of raising them that way, because the, right. the foster care system, you kind of had you know, holds on how you, what you can do and how you can do it, right. you know. Can you talk a little bit about, so working with the foster kids, what, uh, where, is, where are the areas where they really needed an advocate to help them out? Um, I'm sure there's many. I mean, yeah. just pick a few. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in the court systems, mm-hmm. you know, where there was custody battles of terminating parental rights for adoptions. Um, so a lot of the, you know, the foster parents and the parents had to kind of navigate through that and saying, look, what is the best thing for these kids? Right. You know, because that's really all it came down to. Right. You know, and it's kind of having everyone see eye to eye. So the court system a lot, um, you would even have to advocate within the system of the foster care system, sure. you know, because I, I was uh, privileged to be a part of a therapeutic foster care system where the private organization, but you also had to do with the state, you know, right. uh, that was kind of our managing entity, if you will. 
Right. So, so did you do therapeutic foster care yourself at any point? Is that I, no, I misunderstood? No, so, but you worked with the agency. I just worked with the agency. Oh, okay, right. Great. So I just worked with the agency. So, yeah. you know, a lot of the times you would want to kind of transition the kid from one home to the next home right. because it's right for that kid. You know, and sometimes the state would say, "Okay, look, just put him in the home." And you had to say, look, here's the plan. Here's the plan that we have because you've been attached to that kid and you kind of know what's best for that kid. And you see that kid maybe five, six times a month, you know. So talk about that a bit because I think Mm -hmm. in in the work we do, we talk a lot of times about how the parent's the expert. Mm -hmm. But here you have kids who their parent can't advocate for them at that moment. Mm -hmm. So the closest thing they have to that could be this, you know, person who's working in the system on their behalf who knows them as opposed to someone else who they might get passed off to who's only met them. I mean, how do you navigate that when you know the like you know a particular child? You know them. Well look, I you know, I think the best thing to do and somebody told me when I first started social work yeah. and I said, What what does making you and she was a parent right. as one of my fellow social workers, I yeah. said, What makes you a great parent? You know, and I said, does a social worker make you a great parent? She's like, no, making me a parent makes me a great social worker. You see some of these kids in these, you know, situations when their biological parents are, you know, I've had parents who were struggling on drugs, but still right. wanted their kids. Well, of course. You know, and, you but know, they, at because, that moment, they needed to help themselves, so they couldn't help right, the kids, right? You know, and right. sometimes, a lot of the times, they don't know that, you know, right. and that's the hard part that's because right. you have this six, seven year old kid who wants to go back to their parents who probably even sexually abuse them, right. you know, um, and you have to say, look, there's help that you you have to really be non-judgmental when it comes to advocating between the kids and their parents right you know and and you know and I was 22 when I started and a lot of these parents were about 22 23 when they had their first child you know I couldn't imagine them you know besides professional work my personal life is a little bit different right you know so you can understand how somebody can have a personal life and think that it's okay to have their kids in the home when they're doing drugs but they're downstairs you know right so it was kind of difficult just kind of having the parents come to an agreement like Right. Look, we know you understand. We know you love your child. Every parent's going to love your child. And there's a way that, you know, we expect things to happen for your child. So navigating between that was sometimes difficult. Sure, um, sure. But, you know, when you kind of come with a non-judgmental spirit with right. some of those parents and say, this could be anybody, right. you know, even right. myself, if, right. you know, given the wrong situation, right. you know. And so, you know, you educate the parents, you know, that takes a while. You educate sure. the system, that could take a while, even longer. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when everyone's, the best interest is the child, and that's it. When you can actually really say that the, the best interest is my child, right. this child, and all the kids I have, somebody asked me how many kids I have, I said I have hundreds, <laughs> you know, because it's just, I mean, it's hard to look at someone who's 13, it's hard to look at someone who's six, even a baby, um, to say, look, we're going to do the best thing for this kid, you know, and, and I took them as my own. Right. And that's the only, I honestly felt like the only way I can actually do this child justice is actually think that this child is my own. Absolutely. You know, and it's hard. That's what I'm glad I did it when I was 22 years old because right. I could take it home to nobody, you right. know. But so it was, it was difficult, but you know, it needed to be done. So in the work that you do, so have you been doing any of this work since you become a father? I, yes. Because Did that change the dynamic at all of how you went into work, how you felt doing your job? Did it adjust anything for you? Being a father is a lot, it, it kind of put everything in perspective, you know, 
I mean, because I really thought that I really knew. I mean, well, I first didn't. of all, you were 22. What 22 year old doesn't know everything? Yeah, exactly, I mean, let's just start exactly, off with that. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but you know, at 22, I realized that I had a lot to learn, but I also realized that I had a job to do. Right, you know, so right. it was, it was good, kind of navigating between that and it's like, okay, look, I'm yeah. telling these 50 year old parents on how to raise their kids, right. but I gotta. But you know, being a father is a lot. It it so my son was diagnosed with sickle cell. Oh, so, so so now you so you have experience also with the child who has who has health yeah, needs. So, has so that's helpful for you to relate. Not that it, you want that to be the case. But. No, but it, I mean it, it put in perspective with some of the things you do, and then you know honestly how some of these parents really felt. Right. You know when the cancer center calls you when your son is two weeks old oh, and you're only 30, 33 years old. Right. And like I don't know if my kid's gonna live or die because you don't know anything about the the, the disease, disease or anything. Right. Right. So. The advocacy that came from that saying, look, okay, I already love my kid. He's two weeks old. I'm not giving him back. Right, right. So thinking of kind of where that comes from and what you have to do as a family. All right. So then it kind of puts in perspective some of these parents and what they're going through. Absolutely. You know, like when they hit with certain situations at such a young age or old age or whatever it is, you know, and what I need to now do, you know. um, So that kind of helped bring some of that stuff in perspective, you know, kind of seeing their point of view a little bit more. Okay, look. I mean, I'm 33 years old when I had my son and, and realized that he was diagnosed with sickle cell. And we were still going in circles. And I'm educated. I've been through social work. I've been right, through all of this right. stuff. But it, it imagine, still makes you spin, right? Yeah. And I had a world of support around me, behind me. I had my wife. And I had so and I had the community. I had the church. I had my family and friends come together and things like that. And so it was a natural, healthy type of support system. Imagine when that is not Isn't the case. Exactly. You know, what do you do? Where do you go? Right. You know? Right. So... That kind of put the advocacy level just a little bit higher. Just, you know, I mean, obviously with age comes a lot of experience. With experience comes a lot more. You you hit on something that I I don't think we've talked about enough in these interviews. And that Mm -hmm. is a lot of us who are actively engaged in children's mental health advocacy, Mm -hmm. for instance, are so privileged Mm -hmm. already that is allowing us to be involved in this advocacy. Mm -hmm. And some of those privileges, like right now, I'm only here able to interview you Mm -hmm. because my mom's watching my kids. Yeah. Okay, so I have this built-in yeah. amazing support system yeah. of a wonderful mom uh-huh. who's amazing and doing all this. Uh-huh. Um, not everyone has that. No, they don't. And so, you know, I think as you're talking about being non-judgmental with the uh-huh. people that you're helping in your work, a lot of them don't have any support system. No, they don't. They uh-huh. don't. And and that's you know that's 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 a scary part, mm-hmm. honestly, because I know how I felt when I was hit with those, that news. Right. Um, and worked through it. You know, we're still working through it, but we worked right. through it. Um. Because yeah. there's nothing worse than knowing your kids can suffer. Yeah. And being yeah. powerless. I mean, you can do, get them the best care, but you can't make you can't them not do suffer. Anything. All you can do is what you can do, but you can't yes. do anything with yeah. them. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, that's, that's hard. And that's yeah. hard. And just imagine some, I just think about some of the backgrounds that some of my families came from, you mm-hmm. know, and now it puts in perspective some of the things that they're going through. I mean, just, you know, drug related issues right, and right. and it's so easy honestly to be judgmental in the situation it is and i certainly did my share of judging sure, um because sure. like how could you do this how could you do that but it you know when it doesn't 
when you understand a little bit right. about the background, even though my kids are not raised in a drug-infested background, you understand when you can be hit with certain things that you can't deal with. Right. Where do you go when I have nowhere to go? Right. And as we know, with a lot of drug use, sometimes people are self-medicating for something that's not diagnosed or yeah. they're in a really difficult oh, yeah. situation without support. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a good choice. It's not. Yeah. But it's not. We, yeah. we can make the choices that are presented to us. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if we don't have a lot of support, we don't have as many choices presented to us. And I think we need to keep that in mind. Yeah, and then the environment too. I mean, if you're having drug use, who are your people that supporting you? That's right. Probably people who are giving you drugs, or the people who encourage you. Look, this is what I did. This is what I did. You know, um, I had one family when I was here in Florida, who her son was diabetic, but he was a severely obese. you know, he's right. about three or four hundred pounds. Oh, wow. You know, and his A1C level is supposed to be like two or three, I guess. It was about a 15. So, and how old was he? He was child about 13, okay, 14 yeah. years old. But the mom was also overweight. Right. You know, severely obese. Um, and she kind of went through some of the same things. Sure. So, her message to me was, I'm okay. My son will be okay. You I know, see. and how do you kind of convince that? Look, Look, we all need to change, right. you know, and so it was kind of trying to come in. I worked with this family for about a year or so, you know, it's trying to convince this, this mom on, look, your son needs help. Sure. You know, he's under my care, uh, you know, so we created a program that kind of dealt with weight loss and sure. also healthy eating and work with a lot of dietitians. But, you know, unfortunately, in that case, I had to call DCF because she missed maybe a couple of health appointments, Sure. you know, and I wanted to kind of let that go. But she missed like a third one without letting me know, and I kind of gave her warning. And so I said, "Look, I have to look out for this kid, sure. and if he's gonna live or he's gonna die, you know." And so I couldn't be on my conscience. I'm trying to be nice to this mom, you know, while this kid is suffering, yeah. you know. So you also have that other mentality, like I'm fine, my kid is gonna be fine. I can be in drug use. I've lived. My mom did it, and I've lived, and now it's okay. And you have to have somebody come in and step in and say, look, this is kind of the fine point where things are not okay. Look, I, I know things have been going well. I hope things continue to go well, but sure. we're going to do a little things a little bit different. you know. And you kind of have to have the trust of the family. you know. And when you come in with a judgmental attitude, you'll never get the trust of the family. But you come in and say, okay, it's okay. I understand. Or maybe I don't understand. But look, we're going to try to get you help as, as quick as possible, as much as possible. And when your job, especially for me, when your job is to look out for kids and you love these kids, it's kind of hard to not do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's going to hurt your relationship maybe with the mom, like sure. you did with that other mom that. Um, but we got that kid help. And he went to a camp and he lost maybe over 150 pounds and oh, his wow. A1C level went down. Right. Um, but he had to be separated from his mom for a while, which uh, kind of hurt. But, yeah. you know, being an advocate, those are some of the risks you take. But sure. when the end of the day, it's your job is to take care of these kids because, right. you know, I mean, I was concerned that these kids going to live or die. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So those are some of the hard choices that people deal with as an advocate. Right. You want right. to be in the family's life, but sometimes it means that you have to be taken away just right. to do the right thing. And that hurts. Right. It Absolutely. Because, of course, the child's health is a concern, but the child wants to be with his family. It, that yeah. has to be a really hard position. Yeah. How do you keep going? Like, how do you not get burned out? Um, one, you have to know that this is your calling. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I, this is probably the only thing I'm good at 
you know, and just and I believe me, I tried to run away a couple of times. <laughs> just they pull you back. Yeah, in, right? but yeah. it's like, you know when you love that type, you know, and then you have your own life separate. Sure. And I think over the years, I've been doing this since about twenty two years old. Over the years, I really learned how to kind of separate myself just a little bit. Right. I mean, I think a healthy attachment is important. Right. To keep you know advocating, but you know you kind of you know do things that allow you and then I have my faith and go to church so to kind of you know release some of those issues so how (laughs) do you take care of yourself so so church helps and having some kind of separation of your Mm -hmm. life and your work is there something that you do to just sort of because there has to be a lot of pressure at the end of some days Mm -hmm. disappointment frustration Mm -hmm. every case can't work out right and that has to break your heart how do you like how do you individually you keep pushing on. Um, and faith's very important. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. Is uh-huh. there something you do that just helps you sort of blow off some steam? Yeah, well, recenter? my wife is really good. I mean, having yeah. a supportive wife. I, yes, that's I, important. Yeah. <laughs> that's really important. Yeah. You know, my wife says all the time that I could do it. And I couldn't see my wife doing this work I do. She'd be coming home every day crying, yeah. you know, or adopting 8,000 kids. That's right. You're you not know? a big family. Right. <laughs> right. You know? But I think, I, think, um, I think taking my time with my friends, my wife is really good at having me go out with some of my friends and relax and, Good. you know, away from my family, too, because right, right. we have our own routine that we go through every day, and my kid is about to be four and two, so that's just, you that's know, right. but, you know, having that routine, um, just kind of breaking up just a little yeah. bit, you know. That's really important. In fact, there's just recent studies talking about men in particular, mm-hmm. that in our society, men don't always hang out enough with other men, mm-hmm. and it affects their health. Mm-hmm. And we don't, as a woman, I know I'm not always telling the men in my life, you need to go out and have poker night or right, whatever. Right, we right. don't encourage it yeah. necessarily, but it's important. That's extremely important. I didn't realize yeah. how important it was, so my wife actually forced me out the house. Good for her. One time to go to a basketball game in Connecticut, so you kind of hustle the plan. Right. You know, she forced me to go out. It was just kind of, I didn't have to look over the kids. I didn't have to right. carry it to my wife just a little bit. Exactly. You know, and so ever since then, I've been doing that at least once a month. Good. You know, going out yeah. to see a movie. And I think that's extremely important. I mean, you I know? think that's important for any man, mm-hmm. anyone, like everybody mm-hmm. to be able to get out with some friends that you don't have obligations to, mm-hmm. like family, even your most loved ones. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I know. But you know, one, that's one thing I admire about women. And that's probably yeah. why women live the longest. They know how to take care of themselves. That Well, we're trying. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. mean, you are. I mean, for the most part, you guys know how to take. I was just making a joke. Yeah. And my friends were killing me. Making a joke. I said, um, you know, my wife and her friend just went out, and they had like a. They went to a spa day. Right. You know, right. massage or something like that. Yeah. Like, man, you wanna you wanna go out? Let's not call it spa day. Let's just hang right. out at yeah. a spa yeah. all day. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. You know? and, and I think that's important because they it have is. fun and she came back so refreshed, but she does stuff like that. Exactly. You and know? I think you're right. I think it's mm. easy for women to go do that, mm-hmm. where it's for men. We need, you, we need a different name for it yeah. so they feel more comfortable about yeah, it. Not, but yeah. 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 So, you know, I'm comfortable with my manhood. Right, and so right. it's like, man, we can go out there, have a massage, sit down and talk, that's watch right. a game or do that's something. Right. And I think that's extremely important Absolutely. for people to take care of themselves, especially men. I think we bottle up a lot of stuff. Right. And then, know. so I think that's true for anyone. And then, then if you're working in this field where, again, I mean, if when it's your kid and they get diagnosed, you feel helpless, mm-hmm. but you're watching kids, you only have so much power in the system to help mm-hmm. them. That has to sometimes feel frustrating and powerless, right? So yes. just to be able to yeah. take care of yourself so you can go into the next case the next day and help that yeah. next kid. Because I think when you're really passionate about what you do, there's going to be a lot of stuff that, I mean... 
that kind of gets to you that you can't do. Right. That, you know, I, I mean, even the other day, yeah, I think yesterday I was looking for one of my kids on Facebook that I caught a long time ago in Baltimore because, mm-hmm. you know, he even joked that he was my favorite kid, you know, right. but a lot of them. So I, I, I wondered what happened to him or what's right. going on with him right. or what's, what, you know, because you feel helpless that you can't control some of the path that, that your kids go through. And right. I mean, and that, that, you know, that part is hard. That part is really hard. But I pray for him every night. I pray That's for all right. my kids every night. Right. So, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I'm a faith believer, and so I understand that God is actually going to take care of a lot of my kids that I've, that right. I've um, watched over over the years. So when you can't do anything, God's going to do, then, then you know, whatever over, he can. Right. Yeah. So. Well, I want to thank you for the good work that you're doing on behalf of just all of us, because it's so important for us as society, as family members, everyone to know that someone's out there watching after the kids. Yes. So thank you for the work you're doing. What is a whole bunch of us out here doing it? I mean, we're in a conference full of people that's, that's advocates, right. that's so it right. just feels good. So, it does feel good to be around people yeah. who just care about kids and are dedicating their lives yes. to helping them. It yes. really does. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Ask the Advocate, copyrighted in 2018 by Mothers on the Frontline. Today's podcast host was Tammy Nyden. The music is written, performed, and recorded by Flame Emoji. For more podcasts in this and other series relating to children's mental health, go to mothersonthefrontline.com.